electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Tesla tumbles. The company seeing shares drop after posting a revenue miss in the latest quarter. Will Elon Musk be able to get things back on track? Or has the EV pioneer lost its grip on the market? And later, a semi-surge shares of chip equipment maker ASML closing in on all-time highs after its latest report. It's taking the rest of the semi-space with it. So is this breakout for real? And how much longer should you ride that? We'll debate that. Plus, Fit Financials. While the S&P set another record close, the XLF is breaking out to nearly two-year highs. One top analyst says banks are coiled spring ready to bounce higher. Do the traders agree? We will find out. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the Nasdaq on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grasso, and Katie Stockton, founder of Fair Lead Strategies. And we start off with Tesla trading at levels not seen since early November, close to losing the $200 level. The EV maker saying EV sales grew just 1% in the latest quarter. The call kicks off later this hour. CNBC's Phil LeBeau joins us now on the numbers. Phil. And the numbers are not encouraging if you are a, a Tesla investor. A, they missed on the top and the bottom line. We'll go over those first of all. The company earning 71 cents a share. The street was expecting 74 cents a share. Revenue coming in a little shy of expectations at 25.17 billion. Street expecting 25.61 billion. There is some encouraging news in terms of gross auto margins, excluding zero emission vehicle credits. The expectation was for 15.7% as that gross margin figure. They came in at 17.1%. So better than expected, actually better sequentially than the third quarter. So why are people perhaps wringing their hands a little bit and wondering what the future holds for Tesla? It's because the company is not giving guidance in terms of 2024 deliveries. In fact, the company did say in its release, and we'll get more from Elon Musk in about a half hour, hopefully, that deliveries this year will be notably lower than the rate of delivery growth in 2023. The words notably lower, those are Tesla's words. Just for a point of reference, the company's delivery rate increased by 24% in 2023. That was down from 40 percent in 2022. So the question becomes, how much will they grow this year, Melissa? That's what people will be focused on, especially when the call starts at 530 from Elon Musk. Are we talking about a 10 percent delivery increase? That would get them up to two million for 2024. Are we talking about something a little more than that? The estimate on the street was for two point one million. It is that open ended nature of notably lower that is certainly going to be front and center during the conference call, which begins in a half hour. Yeah, if they can quantify notably lower, I feel like this is sort of, you know, the automotive gross margins X credits was much better than expected. A lot of people went into this quarter thinking that's what it was going to be all about. And for 2 percent, 1 plus percent beat, that seems significant. Also, free cash flow for the quarter, that was also significantly higher than expected. So you had sort of puts and takes in this quarter. Absolutely. But everybody also went into this quarter, Melissa, assuming there would be guidance in terms of right. uh, delivery growth rate for 2024. Nothing right. and just the words notably lower 
it leaves it open for interpretation. And right now, the Bears are interpreting that as bad news. Yep. Phil, keep us posted. We appreciate it. Phil LeBeau. Um, by the way, they say it will be notably lower because the team is going to transition to the next-gen vehicle platform. So that's the reasoning behind that for what that's worth. What do you make of the quarter? Well, I, first of all, just to the, shock, the stock's performance after hours, I'm kind of surprised it's doing as well as it is. I mean, that, that type of, of unclear outlook, but a negative outlook on top of, you know, you can make what you want. You can twist the numbers. You're right. There's a lot to read into. But when you look at operating profit falling year over year, you look at two straight quarters where it's been under some pressure. You have some dynamics where they're saying, you know, we are going to spend more on AI and robotics. And, and so the spend goes up at a time when earlier this week or last week when Elon Musk sent a bunch of strange tweets out there talking about how maybe he wasn't comfortable uh, having AI and robotics as part of the structure if he doesn't have 25 percent control. All of this adds up to some uncertainty around some part of the business that I think was what we were willing to pay a lot extra for on the multiple. And so it's at a time when uh, the growth part of the story, which like every Tesla bull will talk about that. Um, is in question at a time when people are uh, there's some bigger issues. BYD, we know the headlines there in terms of which they overtook them as the largest. I don't think that's a big deal. And I think obviously the BYD cost structure and and ASP structure very different than Tesla. But it's not an easy time. Stocks already had a lot of bad news priced into it. I, I actually think the price action here is better than I would have expected. Questions around the growth part of the business for Tesla, but also the growth part of the business for the EV market in general. Yes, writ yeah. large, right. And so I, I kind of look at that. I agree to your point about them talking about we're going to be transitioning to newer models. That's a big difference than notably than than notably slower for no other reason. Right. Right. So we don't know exactly when or how. Sometimes they delay. Things take longer than they think. But I don't know. The more I've been thinking about Tesla and the EV slowdown, the more that I think they they should be cutting prices. They should just be putting as much pressure as they possibly can on the GMs and Fords. You know how, you know, whenever my husband and I watch one of those, you know, action movies, they always leave the villain almost dead, but they kick the gun to the side, right? <laughs> he and can't the, get it there. He can get it, of course. <laughs> he comes back and you have to kill him again. And I'm just wondering, are they, you know, are they really going to try to just step on the throat this is, by the way, this is a family show. You're talking about stepping on throats and I know. Well, I'm kind of worked up. I really think that's that's sort of what's going on here. And they're saying we can take the pain. We can afford it. Mm-hmm. Right. The right. balance sheet's in good shape. Plenty we do cash. have cash flow. And we, we ought to just, you know, crush but if, them if, if they can. do step on the throat, then they give up the margins. And everyone was so, so they give up but they're the not margins. giving up the margins, really. Well, well, well uh, I automotive mean, gross margins, X credits, better than expected. It's a better than expected. Better but if they if they if they go next level, step on throat. Karen streaming Netflix movie, then you're going to have a problem on, on the margins some sometime in the future. What if you have fewer competitors? Then you have yeah, room to, then you have room to price. I, I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying the price action was nervous about margins coming in when they when they dip below 20. So if now they pop to 17 and they dip again, and then you say more share, still going to be a problem. I think the I think Tim you know touched on the valuation we've been paying for AI. If, if AI leaves the story, what is Tesla worth without that? And is that full self-drive? Does he, go, does he go do it somewhere else and sell it back to Tesla? How can he do that, though? I don't understand they how can. he would be allowed to Well, the share structure, the, yeah, I yeah, mean, to, to, it, it includes assets. one class of shares, which can't be, you know, retroactively changed. But I, I, I just think it introduces, as, as someone I felt biggest risk for, for Tesla over the years have been corporate governance related. Um, I, I think it just introduces a lot more of that at a time when the valuation is tough. What do you think, Katie? 
You know, the stock has been a, a real underperformer, so I think people were anticipating something like this, and maybe that's why it's not down as much as you'd think. But there's a key support level, 208, on the chart. Now it's below currently. But as long as that holds on a consecutive weekly closing basis to us, that's actually a positive or sort of an incremental positive for a chart that already has lower highs in, in place. Neutral long-term bias and, of course, the other mega caps look much better on their charts from a momentum perspective. So it's hardly the best of the best. But if it does hold that 208 area, it becomes somewhat compelling to us for sort of a counter trend entry point. And when you, you saw the price action right off of the earnings print, yeah. it traded down to the mid-190s, and that area is the October 30th level, 194 and change. That's probably real support in, in the name. Mm-hmm. I like it above a Katie's safer 208, but you'd be willing to take a shot here against a 195 or so low. The, the main issue that I have is if they're introducing new models, you force people to wait for those new models. And if they price cut, you force people to wait for a price cut. They were having enormous price cuts. So you went out and bought a car and then they were $15,000 cheaper in three days, three weeks. That just forces people to wait. All right, for more, let's bring in Fast Money friend Gene Munster. He's a managing partner at Deepwater Asset Management. Gene, great to have you with us. What is your take on the quarter and your reaction to the stock move? Melissa, this was the most sobering outlook that I have seen from Tesla when they talk about a step down, a notable step down in growth rates. I just want to put that in perspective. The street was looking for 20, uh, was looking for 19% revenue growth in 2024 for this year. And they said it'll be notably lower than that. So it probably comes in at 10%. When I see that, I think stock's down 5%, 10%. That was my initial reaction. I'm surprised to see where it is. The reason why I believe it's holding in is twofold. You highlighted the importance of the gross margin X credits. I would just add to that. That's the first time in a year that we've seen that improve. And so that is... Uh, a surprise on the positive side, especially given the ramp of Cybertruck, some of that investment. And second, I think the stock reaction speaks to the conviction of shareholder investment base. And effectively, this comes down to a very simple question is, do you believe that EVs are the future? And if the answer is no, that you think that this is going to take 20 years to get to electrification and autonomy, then you believe the stock should be down measurably, uh, meaningfully, 10% more on this news. But if you do believe in the future, then this uh, punky, uh, soft guidance that they're giving for this year is going to ultimately prove to be noise because everything that Tesla is doing, building out this next generation uh, vehicle platform, uh, everything that they've done in their investments in autonomy, all of that is coming at a time where traditional auto is stepping back from these. And so that's the question. If you believe in electrification and autonomy, Tesla's actually in a better position longer term. And I think that the reaction to shares speaks to the conviction, long-term conviction that Tesla shareholders have. Can you help us understand, Gene, what this next-gen vehicle platform is and what that gives Tesla in the long term? I mean, we may see that step down in volume growth this year, but on the other side of that, if we see increased efficiencies, if we see, we see increased output, uh, this could just, you know, you could smooth this year over and, and see the trajectory higher. You'd see an acceleration 
uh, back potentially. I mentioned the 10% for this year, but next year could be 30% plus growth. And the specifically is that this is a lower price vehicle, likely around a Honda Accord, a typical Honda Accord in the U.S. starts at $30,000. That's below the average selling price of a car in the U.S. at $48,000. And it's likely going to be a couple vehicles. One is a lower price car with a steering wheel and then followed by a robo-taxi. And so that's what they're, they're talking about. They need to build enough of a gap between the Model 3 and this lower price vehicle not to create some confusion. So uh, this is going to be, a, uh, again, a measurably lower-priced uh, vehicle and compete with where the sweet spot of the growth in the automotive market is today. Hey, Gene, it's Karen. Thanks for being on with us today. So I've always had trouble with how do you value Tesla then? Put it all together. How do you come out with a valuation for Tesla? So what I look at is where the revenues are going to be in three to five years. I want to revisit it after the call here, but think about what that revenue growth is going to be. I mentioned a step back up to 30%. And then I go and look at what other companies are trading at. The best comp is Apple when it comes to hardware, software, services. I think that's most representative of Tesla. And so uh, that's a six or seven times multiple. And so when I put those two together, I can comfortably get to above a, a trillion dollar market cap for kind of that, that five year period. Again, I want to see what's going on with the, their commentary on, on kind of long term growth. But that's how I get there as I think about this as a revenue multiple relative to where the revenue is going to be in three to five years. All right, uh, Gene, we'll check in with you later. Thank you. Keep us posted. You. Gene Munster, conference call again, gets underway in just about uh, 18 minutes time or so. That next-gen vehicle, at one point in time, we thought the mass market would unlock all sorts of value. Mass market That's what cars, it was. It's going to be amazing. And here we are. When we hear about transitioning to that new platform, that's a negative on Tesla in the after hours. Why, why well, do you think that is? If you thought that the, the, the Model 3 was kind of this Volkswagen for the electric vehicle masses, um, you know, then, then, yeah, you're disappointed. But if you're an investor, you're thinking about higher margin. You think about the, the cars that they can actually build for a price that they can sell them for. Um, so it's, it's a fascinating time. Margin stability was what I think investors wanted to hear. Forget some of the un, you know, unclear outlook in terms of, in terms of deliveries and, and, and whatnot. But I think back to the stock relative to the market, it's great having Katie here tonight to talk about some of those dynamics. But it's underperformed the S&P by 35% um, in, in, in four or five months, like massively. Here we are. We talk about the Mag 7s. Um, and this is a stock that I think is being treated. And I think based upon the headlines, I also think all of these headlines are good for Ford and GM. And I'm long both. So, I, of course, I want to believe that. So you mentioned 208 as a level. What happens if it's able to hold that on a weekly basis? So the, it would show a reaction to the oversold condition. And that oversold is actually more extreme in the ratio of Tesla versus the S&P 500, which is kind of intriguing, right? It suggests that this underperformance is overdone. So you would at least at a very minimum expect relative performance to improve and probably to a pretty strong degree. Just maybe sort of the uh, you know release of that news, right? People anticipating it, worrying about it, and now it, there's less uncertainty and the market tends to like that. But that 208 level to us preserves the range. So if it breaks down, then we're looking probably much worse than the October lows, I would imagine. Wow. 
All right, uh, let's get a check on the markets now. The S&P 500 notching another record close today. The benchmark index topping 4,900 for the first time ever. The Nasdaq also higher while the Dow shed about 100 points. Meantime, Bank of America with a bullish bank call today saying the stocks may be this year's coiled spring. The firm noting Wall Street's exposure to bank stocks is lower now than going into the last year and that the group may be due for a re-rating. The S&P Bank and Regional Bank ETFs both gaining about a percent today. The KRE up almost 6% over the past week, while the KBE is up almost 5%. So could we be seeing, uh, you know, a new leadership group being born here, Karen? What do you, you hope so? I hope so. I'm, <laughs> I'm all in. On the, um, I, I, she called it a coiled spring, yeah. right? I guess they're levered. So there's that. They don't, they don't generally have this sort of pop like anything we've seen in the semi-space or anything like that. But I think that if the economy is okay, then banks at this valuation, I mean, so J.P. Morgan, my biggest position by a lot in the space, uh, under 11 times earnings, a dividend of, I don't know, high twos. And then Citibank, um, that is somewhat of a coiled spring Citibank. relative. I mean, the, the potential for massive cuts in uh, spending. And then you put a multiple on that. Right now, the street doesn't give them a lot of credit at all. They trade well, well under tangible book value. So um, those are my two names in the space. I hope she's right. The, the question is, like, why re-rating? I understand where stocks can be underloved and there can be reallocation, there can be underweights. And I'm not disputing it. I, I, I'm long City, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan. Um, I've stayed away from the regionals. Part of that re-rating is coming from a more benign credit outlook. Part of the re-rating is also coming from a world where uh, the asset flight has slowed down dramatically. If anything, obviously, lower rates are also slowing down the asset flight. So, I mean, ultimately, the question is, did Citibank deserve to be at 0.55 price to 10? book. No way. Um, the fact is that the KRE is up 40 percent and has outperformed the S&P on a relative basis um, since the entire market took off on that March, excuse me, that October 26, 27 level. That's encouraging until it, you know, as they say, until we stop seeing that follow through from banks, which had underperformed. I think you're staying there. Coil spring sounds like a technical term to me, it Katie. I don't know if coil spring comes to mind when you think of banks. Not really, but a base breakout has definitely been completed by that space. We added XLF to our own portfolio just this month to take advantage of what looks like this basing phase. And those can have very long-term implications for both absolute and relative performance. So it's XLE, KRE, KBE. You almost don't have to be picky because it is such a macro-oriented group or space. And we tend to think that yields will have a corrective year, meaning that they'll come into perhaps even the low threes from a technical really? perspective, hmm. strictly from a technical perspective. So that could make it an environment much more conducive. So. Low three sounds like that's conducive to the stock market going much higher, too. Right. We are very okay. bullish. And, uh, you know, we want to sort of temper that because we don't want to get too excited after such a huge move. But quite frankly, the momentum gauges are positive across time frames. We have very widespread breakouts. And by widespread, that means breadth has improved. So we have sector breadth now expanding to financials and then individual stock breadth, too. Coming up, we are dialed into Tesla's conference call. We'll bring you all the headlines that gets underway in 12 minutes. But it's not only the after-hours movers we are watching. Shares of IBM and Las Vegas Sands also on the move. We'll bring you the details from the quarters next. And speaking of results, chip firm ASML surging after reporting results this morning. The revenue jump that had investors piling in ahead. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. This is Fast Money with Melissa Lee right here on CNBC. 
it's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash grad admissions. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. IBM shares jumping after Big Blue reported a big beat on the top and the bottom lines. A conference call kicking off at the top of the hour. Christina Parsonevelis has been listening in. Christina, what's the latest? Well, they're just going through all the numbers right now. The Q&A hasn't really started, but the key word they're using quite a bit is solid, solid growth, solid results. But as usual, revenue was driven by software in the consulting business since it contributes 75% of total revenue. CFO Jim Cavanaugh telling me just in the last hour, we chatted on the phone, that their AI business doubled sequentially. However, we didn't get any actual numbers. And if I looked at the fact set estimates, there was, though, a slight miss in software. I noticed Red Hat segment decelerated, and there was a slight miss to estimates in consulting, which was partially offset by strength in infrastructure, particularly their mainframes. There were uh, some concerns going into this report that they couldn't grow their free cash flow to $10.5 billion, and they did. They actually surpassed that yearly level to $11.2 billion for the full year. I asked what the driver was uh, to the CFO. He told me it was a mix of cost, rationalization, and demand. He just said it on the call right now that it was about real estate optimization as well. I just emailed to find out what does that mean? Did they cut office space? I'll find out. As for guidance, they expect 2024 revenue in the mid-single digits and $12 billion in free cash flow. And there should be commentary momentarily about software guidance going up a little bit higher than their previous 4 to 6% range for the year. Details, still waiting for that since uh, we're 22 minutes into the call. Christina, do they actually break out AI as a segment, or is it one of these things that sort of crosses into many different segments that it currently reports? No, no, because I made that mistake early this morning when I said that we would be getting details on their Watson X uh, business and was corrected on that. Um, they do call it a book of business for Watson X and generative AI. Last quarter, they said there was low hundreds of uh billions of dollars. And now that's more than doubled. That's why I use the, the terminology uh, doubled sequentially. But uh, in terms of the actual numbers, how many digits? Um, I don't know. They just told me there was thousands of customers that have engaged with these platforms. Sounds promising. Christina, thank you. Christina Partsenevelis on IBM. Do you own it? 
I don't own it. Uh, and look, I, I've been scared away by the head fakes we've seen multiple times. $12 billion in free cash flow this year at about an 8% free cash flow yield. Their gross margin up 140 basis points. It's moving in the right direction. Uh, at a time when people are looking across mega cap tech and they're, they're looking at valuations, this one, you know, you can find an argument in favor. And certainly in terms of our performance relative to the market, I mean, you know, would you rather had relative to the Ooh. S&P back in July, Apple or IBM? You got excited. Uh. Heard, heard <laughs> IBM. It is a would you rather. It's a well, would well, you rather. Yeah, okay. As we watch I, IBM. I try not to do that. They're, high, they're at their highs in the after-hour session. They're now up by 7.2% after-hours. This, this, well, well, this one, I think, you're, I think we're past the head fakes. Right? If you look at consulting and you look at software, if they're going the right way and infrastructure is going down, that's what you want to do. You want to turn the Titanic around. And it's been a Titanic. It's been... It was my secular short in 2013 on the, on the desk downstairs. And just a testament to what Tim said. So many head fakes along the way. They were the originator of AI. It was Watson. They were the first people there. They should have been monetizing this a long time ago. Maybe they're correcting the ship at this point. They were I, too early. They, I, I think they were too early. They didn't know it was Pet Rock back then. There was no monetization of it. Um, let's get the Lamb research higher after its earnings report. The semiconductor equipment maker handily beating earnings and revenue expectations issued strong EPS guidance for the current quarter. The move comes after ASML posted its best day since November 2022. The Dutch company reporting better than expected earnings and revenue this morning, but it issued tepid revenue guidance and said potential restrictions of China exports could cut sales to that region by as much as 15 percent. But new highs really across many parts of the semi-sector today. The whole sector, I mean, very strong momentum, very strong relative performance trends. And with these breakouts, these earnings-driven breakouts that are spreading across the industry, those tend to exhibit or, or sort of generate more momentum just by the nature of resistance being removed from the charts. And when we look at Price objectives are they're usually aligned with like the 2021 highs. So, in ASML for one, it looked like one of these bullish cup and handle formations, which is a formation that tends to have years of implication. So, I think they're really exciting breakouts. As technicians, we love to see gaps up in response to earnings, and just the few days after to hold that gap is even better. So just looking at, you know, Lamb Research was up $18 today, Mm -hmm. just on the heels, right, Right, Uh, of ASML. ASML. And uh, so we're in that kind of uh, virtuous cycle or vicious for valuations, I guess it is, where uh, it's all began on the same news over and over, right? right? ASML, that's, you know, hopefully bigger revenue. Here, a very nice guide, right? The quarter was okay. I mean, it was good, but uh, there was, you know, stuff to nitpick. So, again, it's up a a lot on the same news. Um, I am long what we call the picks and shovel. We were talking about it. NVIDIA and AMD and probably looking to sell them at or right around earnings. There's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Could big gains come in small packages? What the technicals are saying about the small cap space right now. We'll go off the charts with Katie Stockton on this maybe mighty group. Plus, a subscriber super surge. Investors binging on Netflix shares after the streamer's latest results. And now, Wall Street is tuning in. The next move for Netflix ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. 
It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Welcome back to Fast Money. Small cap stocks struggling to take off so far in 2024. The Russell 2000 down more than 3% since the start of January, while other major averages are all in the green. But one of our traders sees a reversal of misfortune ahead for this index. Let's go off the charts with Katie. So what are you seeing? You know, for IWM, we saw a pretty major trading range breakout in Q4. It's something that we had anticipated because there were some positive divergences in momentum as it had gone sideways with a ton of volatility. The volatility is kind of staying with it with this pullback that we've had. So it's shaken investors' confidence in the small cap space. But we want to sort of reinstill that confidence because we've seen an initial reaction to a short-term oversold condition. That's an IWM or the Russell 2000 ETF. And with that, we have have improvement in relative performance, long-term downside momentum versus the S&P 500 has improved. And that likens it to sort of the towards the end of 22 when we started to see them at least perform more in line with. So we're kind of convinced that we'll see small caps do better. Maybe they don't um, outperform strongly, but a better year for them after what was a very difficult year for them because breadth was so weak and relative strength, of course, behind them was so weak. So we're excited about the range breakout. We feel it can get IWM to 213 resistance as an initial upside objective. And with that, we should see some outperformance near term. Does that mean that big cap technology takes a breather, so to speak, or doesn't perform as strongly if money's going into small caps? I would guess that the relative performance takes a breather. So maybe they're not the same source of upside leadership, but they should participate. So it wouldn't be something that someone might notice very much in their portfolio. But it also should be associated with sort of growth to value ratios, favoring growth even more than they have done. Uh, you know, ETFs like ARK-K doing much better after advancing from long-term basing phases. So this is part of the whole broadening out of the rally that we're expecting. Yeah, I, I, and I agree with that. And we saw the RSP or the equated S&P ETF, and depending on how you're tracking it. But you say, and your analysis, I think, is great. Um, and you say, do you notice it in your portfolio? I guess the question I ask is, do we have to own small caps? I mean, small caps have underperformed for a decade. Why are we even talking about them? And I know why we're talking about Well, you could about say them. that about I, international, but, too, really. Right? So, so yeah. that's what's really interesting, because uh, when, when I was an EM guy every single day and we were looking to hedge some of the EN kind of growth dynamics, we would hedge with an IWM. Not, not, not all the time, all the place. But I guess my point is, and as I talk about this with clients and you look at 2024, it's like, should we own more small caps? And on some level, if you've done that for the last decade, you've underperformed. You don't have to own small caps. Having said that, the sign that small caps are starting to outperform is very interesting for the overall market, and I, I know we should be looking at it. If you own small caps, though, I think it's got to be a bet on interest rates. Interest, if you think interest rates are going higher, then small caps aren't, aren't going to perform. And, you know, I always point out with, with the IWM, 2000, 40% of those companies are unprofitable. In 1995, I think it was 15%. 
that were unprofitable. So it's a different landscape. And that mirrors what Tim just said, the gross underperformance you've had with IWM. They've become unprofitable companies and they're packaged together into an unprofitable ETF when you look at the IWM. So if you look at large cap tech, that's going to be an outsized portion of the market. And whether it is higher rates, lower rates, people are going to migrate to what it is because tech is not just tech anymore. It's industrials, it's energy. Tech overlays every other sector. I like the small cap space. I think just the valuation in um, the valuation differential mm-hmm. is so big now. And, you know, I'm long a lot of tech. Uh, you know, mag seven. But I think that this is just underperformed too long. And eventually, eventually we see things revert to a mean. And I think that'll happen here. All right. Coming up, a binging boom. Shares of Netflix soaring on the back of strong earnings. Subscribers, a wrestling deal. What's not to love? We're laying out the smackdown on the trade hmm. next. And don't look now, but Meta just regained a key level. Can the social stock keep climbing? We'll debate that when Fast Money returns. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on how markets ended the day. The S&P setting a record close again, now on a five-day winning streak. The index topped 4,900 for the first time during the session. The Nasdaq up four-tenths of a percent, but the Dow fell about 100 points. Shares of DuPont sinking more than 14 percent after the chemical maker warned of a sales slowdown. The company saying it's seeing softening demand and weakness in China. And check out Meta rejoining the four-comma club Four comma club today. It's market cap topping $1 trillion for the first time since September 2021. Shares actually at a record high. They are up more than 11% so far this year. And Microsoft briefly touching $3 trillion in market cap, closing slightly below that level. How do these charts look, Katie? I mean, you can imagine, right, the momentum is so strong. And I know it's very difficult to find one of those pullbacks to add exposure into for Meta in particular. And now it's pending confirmation of a breakout to a new all-time high. And it's hard to buy into that strength, but it's often the right thing to do. Right. Well, Netflix closing up nearly 11 percent today after yesterday's blowout earnings report. The stock at its highest level in more than two years. As a result, sparked a slew of price target hikes on Wall Street. Julia Borson is in L.A. with the details. Hey, Julia. Hey, Melissa. Well, we've counted 10 firms with a price target above $600. Macquarie writing, what's not to like? Upgrading Netflix to buy as it sees the streamer's moves now paying off. Pivotal Research raising its price target to what appears to be a street high of $700, saying this is what winning looks like. Jeffries with a buy upping its price target. The headline, do you smell what Netflix is cooking? And TD Cowan hiking its price target to 600, writing off the top rope, Netflix delivers. Now, not everyone was so bullish. Benchmark with the sell says this is near certain the apex of the password sharing crackdown. Deutsche Bank downgrading to a hold, saying it is still the best story in media, but upside is priced in. Ultimately, the bullish argument among all these analysts did highlight Netflix's move just yesterday to license the WWE sports rights as expected to bolster both subscribers and ad dollars. And earlier today, we saw the success of streaming sports on another platform, 
Peacock's wildcard streaming NFL game drew an estimated 2.8 million new subscribers, according to Antenna Research. Now, Peacock, which is also owned by CNBC's parent uh, company Comcast, had 30 million subs before that jump, compared to Netflix's 80 million in the U.S. and Canada. The live sports are clearly a key battleground in the fight for subscribers and now also ad dollars. Julia, thank you. Julia Borston in Los Angeles. Karen, you listened to that call? Yes. In your reaction? It was fantastic. I mean, there was so much to like, right? The numbers, the ad-supported tier, how well that's doing, password crackdown. Uh, So much to like. And they haven't, they they said this, but they they said we haven't yet gotten to more price increases, which... They believe can I feel happen. Like every month you get an email about price increases. <laughs> they didn't want to sort of do a double whammy of right. crackdown and price increases. And I mean, they are, you know, we talk about Tesla being the winner. So clearly the winner here. The val- I, I'm a value girl. This is actually not so crazy given their position of how dominant they are. Um, and there's more to come. And it's eliciting new descriptives from the analyst community. We now have the term power. Bomb. Somewhere in the last couple of years, we had those big storms with the polar vortex came out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, this the power, power bomb. bomb is a good one. But but it, it is a power bomb if you think about the size and the scale, um, but also the profitability. That's what's allowing this analyst kind of follow through of upgrade after upgrade. Again, this is I think it's the profitability less about, hey, you know, these these new subs uh, coming from paid sharing. It's been a great even if it's peaked. The scale and the profitability of the business is what allows analysts to go here. I'm always amazed at companies that transform themselves and from them to go from the red envelope, mail the disc, DVD, again and again transforming and decide we're going to get into the content business, which was scoffed at. I scoffed. (laughs) I mean, I thought it was absurd. And now to this and same Tesla, the transformation. How many times were they verge of bankruptcy? Right. But again, to, to your earlier point, I mean, a mature business but able to increase profitability, you're still able to move the lever. And, and that's really rare. Yeah. And by the way, I'm just thinking of Guy running down to the, the mailbox right now. Oh, to get that off. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, so. you, you know, to, to your point, though, it went from there was every competitor. It, the hopes were not for them. There was every competitor in the book. And then every competitor is, is, is squashed. And now they're licensing to Netflix. And then that ad tier is going right. to be the new metric that people mm-hmm. are look, judging it on. They rolled it out in a bunch of markets. They'll roll it out further. Mm-hmm. And everyone will now pay into the competitive beast that Netflix was. And they will continue to eat everyone else's And lunch. sports and gaming and, everything. and international. And, and we're paying more ranges. with all of our bundles than we did for cable TV. Yes. Yep. How do you like that? I, I don't like it. I, I fell victim. Quickly on the charts, Katie, Netflix. You know, it's um, kind of interesting that 700 is the utmost high price target because that's resistance. It's final oh. resistance. So it would be a natural place maybe for sellers to step in, but there's obviously a, a lot of room to that level. Yeah. So. All right. Coming up, Fast Money's earnings palooza continues next. We'll roll the dice on Las Vegas Sands results and get some fresh insights from Tesla's conference call with Gene Munster. Elon Musk is on the call. We'll hear what he had to say. Plus, AT&T dropping the call this morning. We'll look inside the week guidance that has Wall Street hanging up on this name. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's get another check on Tesla shares. The stock is uh, lower with this conference call underway. It's now down by about four and a quarter percent. Gene Munster has been listening into the call. So, Gene, what's the latest here? 
Melissa moves fast. They talk quickly. I think I picked this up from the new CFO, and I did see a, a dip in the stock when uh, he said this, but he mentioned the improvement in sequential gross margins, that critical metric that e, uh, gross margins X EV credits. And he also said that going forward, it's difficult to predict that. That's common language that they would use when they're talking about expectations. But he, he used some language that surprised me. He said, we're reaching our limits on the current platform, which I think he meant reaching, reaching their limits on what can, what margins can expand to. Uh, Elon had just previously before that was talking up the margin improvements or the productivity improvements in this next generation uh, platform. So that's gonna be a, a critical topic because it is the pressure point related to profitability and uh, begs the question is, do they need this next gen platform to ramp margins again? Was there any commentary about what notably means in the context of notably lower growth in 24? Hasn't got to that. Uh, he uh, basically um, gave the kudos to his team for a good 23 and pulled out some things there, but they haven't got to that growth question yet. All right. Gene, uh, thank you. Thank Gene you. Gene Munster. So still a lot of questions to go here on this conference calls. We're trying to decipher uh, the impact on the stock, which is now down just under about 4% here. Let's move on to Las Vegas Sands jumping, despite the casino operator missing profit estimates for the latest quarter. Contessa Brewer joins us now with a closer look at these numbers. Contessa. Yeah, Melissa, luck was really at play here, or hold, how much the casino keeps of the wagers made. So Macau missed. And still, Sands made more than $650 million there in the quarter and says its retail segment there surpassed 2019 levels. Luck favored Marina Bay Sands in Singapore. And on the call, CEO Rob Goldstein called it probably the most valuable hotel building in the world. The high-value customers, they came, they spent, gambling up 339% over last year in spite of a massive construction project there and slow recovery in visitation from China. Goldstein says plans for Singapore will take it from $2 billion to $3 billion a year by the end of the decade. Overall, you're looking at adjusted property EBITDA at 94% of the same quarter of 2019, pre-COVID. And yet, LVS shares over the last year down 10%. On the call, San COO and President Patrick Dumont said, oh yeah, well, right there, that's a buying opportunity. So LVS bought back a half billion dollars worth of shares, committed to buying $250 million in shares of Sands China. And CEO Rob Goldstein will join me for an exclusive interview tomorrow on Power Lunch, 2.30 Eastern Time. And Melissa, I really want to dive into those retail numbers because we've heard so much other doer commentary from other companies in China. All right. Contessa, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, Contessa Brewer. Uh, Steve, you actually bought some LVS today? I did because I thought the bar was so low for it that it could you know, sort of walk over it. So it's not, it's not about the absolute numbers. It's just about where sentiment is on the stock right now. So, and when you look at Wynn as opposed to Las Vegas, you get Singapore. So you get Vegas, you get Macau. Macau is definitely the wild card. That's the headwind, but that only has to improve fractionally for the stock to rip from here. So and, I bought it on a relative basis. And it is improving. So December, GGR gross gaming revenue in Macau is up 433% in December. And if you think about the performance of Las Vegas Sands relative to what's trying, I mean, like, 
China's been a ball and chain around, you know, the foot of Las Vegas Sands. This is a great opportunity. I actually think also investing in, in Macau is one of the best opportunities in greater China investment here. And, and we have seen very strong recovery. We will see strong recovery. And as what we've heard there, getting back to kind of pre-COVID levels and, and percentage of, of where they were on EBITDA. I, I'm a long-term investor in Vegas Sands. I stay there. There's a big China opportunity. Uh, by the way, we're getting some more headlines out of the Tesla conference call. Elon Musk is saying that production of the next generation vehicle will happen in the second half of next year, 2025, um, and that the production ramp of the next generation vehicle will be challenging. That's the word that he's using on this conference call. We're also getting some details on CapEx. Um, he expects capital spending to exceed $10 billion in 2024. Again, the company already said that they're going to be ramping this next-generation vehicle platform in 2024, which is why they're saying that 2024 will see notably, in their words, notably lower volume growth here as they transition to this new vehicle. We're getting more details coming through. Again, the conference call is about 20, 21 minutes in, so keep you posted on this. But again, the stock is down by more than 4%. What are some of the other questions that you you have here? Well, I, I still, first of all, the adjectives they're using uh, this afternoon are not great. I mean, no. some of these are, are not inspiring, but I, I, I do want to hear a little bit more about what they're thinking in terms of their AI and robotics and, and where the investment's going. You talk about the investments here. What are you really thinking about this part of the business? That to me, we knew about the other stuff. This was a new ingredient interjected recently. All right. All right. We'll keep you posted here on those uh, conference call comments. Meantime, coming up, more details out of the IBM call. We'll get those details next. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an update on IBM. Christina Parts Nevelis joins us from the conference call. Christina. Well, actually, I just confirmed job cuts at IBM, unfortunately. They're incurring about a $400 million charge for workforce rebalancing, which is just a fancy way of saying cuts. They wouldn't confirm the exact number to me, despite me uh, persistently texting, but they did confirm a low single-digit percentage, so that could be anywhere between 1% and 2%. So at least 3,000 employees think a little bit more. I asked about which offices, which locations, wasn't told the details about that. But uh, they did confirm that they would be exiting the year with the same amount of employees that they entered the year. And they're still hiring, but they're letting go at the same time. So a uh, $400 million charge for workforce rebalancing, a.k.a. job cuts. All right, Christina, thanks. Stock up 8%. Some more uh, interesting headlines from the Tesla conference call. Elon Musk saying he wants 25% control of the company to be an effective steward of very powerful technology. And he says a dual class structure of shares, quote unquote, would be ideal. I don't know. Um, hmm. How would you do how that? How do you go from how a single share class? Right. Yeah. right. You let the horse out of the barn, so to speak. But anyway, the stock is down by about five and a quarter percent. At this point, we'll keep you posted on any more developments. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade. Tim. Yeah, I do think that Macau is a fascinating investment, especially with what's going on in the recovery. Melco is a name I've owned for a long time on and off. I'm underwater in the trade. Actually, I've been adding to it. Karen? Yes, I am with Katie all the way on IWM. I just think this divergence is too big. I am long, and I think we've got some decent upside. Katie? You know, I'm long NVIDIA, but I'd, I'd say maybe get a little diversification in the semiconductor sector via something like SMH and ETF. All right. Katie, by the way, great to have you yeah. here on the yes. desk Thank tonight. Thank you for being here. Steve Rosso. This is an old name, Xerox, reorganizing its operating miles, slashing jobs, shaking up leadership. Xerox. Don't don't scratch your head. This is the real year. It's still Xerox. Final trade. <laughs> All right. Elon Musk continues to talk on the conference call. The stock is down 
5% right now. Thanks for watching Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.